0: Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. we dig into this chapter, I've had several conversations with with you all that have gone something like this. Wow. The first time I read this book, uh, as we started studying it, I really didn't get it. It didn't connect to anything in my life. I was a little bored. I didn't understand what was happening. But as we've studied it and as we've dug into it, I've been incredibly encouraged by it. And I see things in Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's life that I can relate to. And I see God working and, and it makes me look and trust God in my own life. And I... I see things going on in the situation that remind me of things that are going on today in our culture, in our nation, in our world. And I've just been incredibly um, connected to the Lord while I've been studying this book and to to one another as we've been studying it together. I've had that conversation now multiple times with uh, many of you. And what's happening is we're encountering the living word of God. If you've had that kind of experience at all, if you've had this experience where, wow, in reading this and in studying it, I feel connected to it. It's we're encountering the word of God that is alive and active because this book is not like any other book. It is not simply a true story that happened a long time ago. It's not simply ancient wisdom, but it's actually the God who is living, who is alive, who is coming to us through it to meet us. And yes, sometimes it takes a little work to study it and to dig into it. But it's always worth it because we're digging into the very person of God. And so if you've engaged with this uh, book of Ruth and we've been studying it this month, there are 65 other books in the Bible that are just as rich, just as beautiful, and that Jesus is ready to come and meet you in. And I'm excited to, to finish up the book of Ruth, although I think we could do four or five more weeks on it. Honestly, it's been so good. Um, and we'll be studying the book, book of Mark uh, next week. So let's continue this summer to dig into the Bible together and watch as God transforms our lives and then uses us to, to be a presence of, of him and his love in our communities. What's happening in this book as we read it is that God is bringing us under his wings of refuge, under the wings of his love and presence. There's a lot of phrases in the book of Ruth that have really connected with me and that I've been carrying with me through the last month. But none more than that phrase. We hear it first in chapter 2, verse 12, from Boaz, where Boaz says to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The beautiful metaphor of God's care and his provision. Makes me think of when I've gone to the zoo and they've had those uh, outlines of the wingspan of different birds. Have you ever seen those? And it'll start with like a small, you know, robin or a sparrow, and it's just the wingspan's just a few inches. And then it'll have—they always have a Canadian goose in there. I'm not sure why. It's not a very majestic bird, but and they've got the wingspan of a goose, and then they show the wingspan of a of a person, of a human, which is usually about the same as your height. So if you're 5'10", your wingspans usually 5'10", unless you're an NBA basketball player who have frequently large wingspans, um, four or five times as large as a normal human. Um, Fun fact. Um, And then they'll show like a bald eagle, which we sometimes see flying around the Fox River, and they have a wingspan of sometimes seven feet, which is enormous to think about. You know, we see them up in the sky, but if they were right in front of us and spread their wings... Of course, the largest birds in the world, either condors and sometimes albatrosses, their wingspan is 11 feet, 12 feet. We think about the wings of the Lord. They're enormous. They're infinite. There's so much room and strength and power and majesty in the wings of the Lord to come and protect us and care for us. That phrase gets used again in chapter 3. This time it's Ruth talking to Boaz. If you look at verse uh, 9 of chapter 3, Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me. You are my guardian redeemer of our family. And in the original language in Hebrew, that phrase, the corner of your garment, it's the exact same words as the wings of God. It's the same phrase. Ruth is saying the same thing back. It just has an alternate meaning. It can also mean like the wings or the corners of a cloak or a, a, a coat. She's saying the same thing. This time, it's it's not just about strength and majesty and provision, but there's an intimacy in this invitation to marry Ruth. It reminded me of when Jesus, looking over the city of Jerusalem, says, how I long to gather you in my arms like a mother hen comes and gathers in her chicks. Wings have feathers, and feathers are warm and intimate and safe. When uh, my daughter Nora was first born, we had uh, so many friends come over and see her. And one of my friends, Chris, came over and picked up Nora. And Nora just was like right on his chest. And he took his fleece jacket that he was wearing and he zipped it up over her. He like zipped her up into his jacket. And she just stayed there for an hour, completely cozy and womb-like in Chris's jacket. And so whenever he would come over, he would grab Nora and zip her. Zip right up. That's part of this image of being, being zipped up, being right in the heart of God, surrounded by his wings of protection, of love, of safety. Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience where someone just puts an arm around you? You're going through something hard, they just put an arm around you, and it feels better. We've all had that, right? A friend, a family member, sometimes a stranger. I remember uh, a few years ago I was going through kind of a hard season, really struggling to know and experience God's love for me. And I was at the retreat that all the the pastors, the men and women who lead our our church family, we all do this retreat of prayer every week, uh, every year. And I was there, and praying with uh, three other pastors, and just sharing where I was at. And I, I remember one brother and the Lord just came and sat by me and he put one arm on this side of me and he put his other arm on this side of me and he just just had me there. The wings of the Lord. His his longing to, to gather us in and to care for us, to love us, to provide for us, to redeem us, to restore us. That's what's happening in this book. That's what this story is about. Look how he provides for Boaz Look how he provides for Boaz, this this guy. And we don't don't know the backstory. If they do a prequel to Ruth, hopefully it's the the Boaz backstory. Why why was he single? What what, what was he doing? What was going on in his life? Was that hard for him? But here God shows up and provides for him. Look at how he says it in in verse 9 and just hear the excitement. Today you're all witnesses. I've acquired Ruth. Ruth is going to be his wife. Ruth wants to marry him. He wants to marry Ruth. They've They love and they respect one another, and he's so blessed to marry an amazing woman like Ruth. And then God adds on top of that all of the inheritance of Elimelech, all of his land and his goods and his property. Boaz gets that on top of it all, and not just that, but he gets a son that's born to him and a legacy. They say, may he be famous in Bethlehem. All of this comes as a blessing of God, the wings of God to Boaz. But look how God provides for Ruth. Ruth, who makes this courageous vow to Naomi. Ruth, who is a widow, who has gone through the the pain and sorrow of losing her first husband. Now she has a second husband who restores her, not only from poverty, but from grief. And then in verse 13, it says, the Lord enables her to conceive. Remember, for 10 years being married to Malan, she was unable to have a child. And now God blesses her with a child. God provides for Ruth. God provides for Naomi. He is the wings of refuge for Naomi. Look in verse 15, what all the townspeople say. They say, he'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Remember when we met Naomi in chapter 1? She had suffered and she was hopeless. And Boaz here provides for her and Ruth, not just economically, but God is actually restoring her hope. This child had to be a surprise for Naomi. She's thinking, maybe I can just economically get by, but she would not have been thinking that Ruth is going to have a child. Ruth had not been able to have a child. She says in chapter one, I've come back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. But in chapter one, she hasn't come back empty. She came back with Ruth, a daughter-in-law better than seven sons, the neighbors say. And in chapter two, she doesn't come home empty, but Ruth has a armful of grain. And in chapter three, Ruth has a garment full of grain and a promise of restoration. In chapter four, Naomi now has a child on her knee. Isn't that beautiful? And what do the townspeople say? Chapter 17, or verse 17, the townspeople say, Naomi has a son, not Ruth. Naomi has a son. What does Naomi tell Ruth in chapter one? Turn back, my daughter. Don't come with me. Have I yet sons in my womb? The Lord says, Yes. Symbolically, this is now Naomi's son. And as she holds this child on her knee, it's perhaps at this moment that that deep despair begins to be healed. For Ruth's faithfulness brings Naomi a future. God provides for Boaz. He provides for Ruth. He provides for Naomi. And what happens when Ruth and Boaz and Naomi put their trust in God to provide is that God then brings provision through them. It's a miracle of the gospel. That when we trust God to provide for us, he provides for us and then he provides through us. And so the wings of the people of God become the wings of God himself. The wings of the church to provide for others. How does God provide for Naomi? Through Ruth. How does God provide for Ruth? Through Boaz. How does God provide for us? We'll see, it's through them. Her trust in God's provision, Ruth's trust in God's provision, provides for others all around her. Isn't that amazing? Ruth doesn't have the means to provide for Naomi. But in trusting God to provide for her, God provides for Naomi through her. It's a miracle. It's God's abundance. God longs to provide, to redeem, to restore. So that he can provide and redeem and restore through us. So the church is called to be the wings of God for all who are vulnerable. This is the law that Boaz is acting on when he becomes guardian redeemer. Places like Deuteronomy 10 that say, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you. He gives them food and clothing. How does He give them food and clothing? Well, He gives them food and clothing when we obey things like Exodus 22 Don't mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless, but provide for them. So often, We want to define ourselves who the vulnerable are, and different groups today will pick different categories of people and say they're vulnerable or they're vulnerable, but there isn't really any group out there that's really following God's teaching on who the vulnerable are across the entire scope of humanity we struggle to affirm the dignity of every single person. As an example, why is it that some of us care so much about a child in a mother's womb, but who seem often to care less about a child once they're outside of the womb, or if they're at the border, or if they're at a school in a different neighborhood, or if the color of their skin is different than ours. But why is it that some of us who care so much about children outside the womb seem not to care about them when they're in the womb, and they're vulnerable there? There's no political group that cares about the cause of the vulnerable like God does across the entire scope of humanity. But the church is supposed to. We are supposed to. We're supposed to share God's heart. All of us have categories that we come to Scripture with of people that we think deserve God's care and blessing and refuge and people we think don't deserve it as much. We think we can decide for God who he wants to provide for, who he wants to shelter, who he wants to redeem. But we don't decide that, he does. And it's everyone. He longs for everyone to find refuge in his wings. And as the followers of Jesus, we have this incredible opportunity to be like Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. In their context, they can't change laws. They don't have social power or equity. They don't have money to provide for a whole nation in crisis. We actually have more power today as Americans to affect some of those changes, and we should work toward them when we can than they did. But they are faithful in their life to risk and to sacrifice and to trust God to care for the people in front of them who are vulnerable. And the church is always at its best when it's this grassroots. Household to household, caring for those who are in need. You and I, in our households, we can be the wings of God for those who are vulnerable. We can do it. Household by household. In our church at City of Light, we can be a church that when people walk in our door, they walk into the wings of God and under the refuge of God. We can do that. But being the wings of God is costly. It's risky. It requires a lot of sacrifice. So often we're like that first guardian redeemer. And at risk of giving him too hard of a time, you know, why didn't he step up? You know, in the narrative, we don't want him to, right? We want Boaz to be able to, so that's fine. God's taking care of Ruth and Naomi. They're going to be fine. But don't we do that? Don't we look around for someone else who'll step up, right? Don't we sometimes say, I cannot redeem it. My might endanger my own estate, my own well-being, my own finances, my own plan, my own country. My own reputation, if the people God's calling me to help aren't the popular people to help with those around me. So often, we struggle to press into these situations with the sacrifice, courage, and risk that Ruth does and that Boaz does because we haven't yet trusted God to be our wings of refuge and to be our provision. The reality is we can't care for others until we've learned to receive God's care for us. If you have a heart to show God's love and provision for others, we have to start with receiving his love and care for ourselves. We have to put ourselves under his wings. Our ability to be the wings of God is directly proportional to our ability to receive the care and provision of the wings of God. Our ability to need the wings of God. And that's how God uses us. That's the miracle, right? When we, in our need, go to God to meet that need, then he meets others' needs through us. Not because we have somehow arrived and been fully redeemed and fully restored and now we have all of the resources and we can go out and dole them out to people who are in need and then we can be the ones who fix it. That's never how God works through others. The more we know our need, for his care and redemption in our lives. The more he'll show others that care and redemption through us. It's like this, if we don't need him to provide for us, how will we learn that he does provide? If you've never seen God provide for you in your life in really big ways, you will not have the trust to believe that he could do that in someone else's life. And if you don't believe that God can show up powerfully to change and transform and heal and provide for somebody else, what will you do? We'll try to fix it ourselves. And we cannot. We cannot. But if we have gone to God in our deep need for healing and provision and redemption, then when someone else comes with that deep need, we'll go, I've seen God show up in my life. I can watch and wait and be with you while we trust God to show up in your life. Because we have nothing to offer except the wings of God. We so often do this financially. We want him to provide for us first financially and then we'll provide for others financially. That's actually not how the kingdom of God works. He says, obey me and sacrifice generously to give to the Lord through his church. And then when you don't have the means, He'll provide for you, and then he'll provide for others through you. It's backwards in the way we want to do it, because it requires our trusting in God's provision first. So many of you do this so well, with your hearts, and with your finances, and with your time and investment, with your love, so many of you, so many of you do this, and If you're here today and you've received the provision of God through someone else here at City of Light, give thanks to God for that this morning. And tell that person. They might not even know. And would you pray, God, in my household, send me someone who needs you. Send me someone who's vulnerable. That we can show the loyal love of God, too. Let's pray for that as a church. Lord, will you continue to send us at City of Light, those who are vulnerable, those who need the provision of God's wings? I think he already is and has. I mean, we look around, and we are the ones who need provision and redemption and restoration, all of us, we're all vulnerable in different ways, and we are all God's wings for one another. One of the most profound things about this story is that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, they don't even know all of what God has done to provide for them, But even more than that, they don't even know how God is using them to provide for all of us. They don't know that part of the story. They don't know how God has used their small deeds of faithfulness to change the world. Look in verse 17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. In a period of the history of the people of Israel that was filled with chaos and oppression, God is working to bring peace to the people of Israel through King David. It's incredible. They would never know it. Right in front of their eyes, it's happening in an unimportant town of Bethlehem through an unlikely family. And this part of the story is so cinematic, it's so visual. So I want you to imagine this with me, the town of Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys walking out their front door and leaving the town of Bethlehem. Ten years later, Naomi and Ruth walking back into the town of Bethlehem and back into that front door that hadn't been used in ten years. Imagine Ruth sweeping away a decade of dust. And then a day, a few weeks later, staring out from that front door as Boaz walks up to the house. And Ruth knows immediately by the look on his face that he's going to be the guardian redeemer. And Boaz walks into that house to restore and to provide. And in that room, that room where Naomi and Elimelech had their children, now Boaz and Ruth have Obed, and Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has his sons, and now four generations later, God tells the prophet Samuel, go to the little town of Bethlehem and go to this house, the house of Jesse, of Obed, of Boaz and Ruth, go to this house because you're going to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the king, who will restore the people. And so Samuel walks in, and he enters into that room, and there's Jesse. And most likely, Obed is there too. He's the grandfather, <laughs> the one who would be famous in the people of Israel. And Samuel says, are these all of your sons? No, the youngest one is still in the field. Bring him in. And so David walks through the door that Boaz had walked through years before. And the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. And Samuel does as the entire family watches. All of this in this little house, in this little city of Bethlehem, because of the little instances of great sacrifice for Ruth and Boaz, in that same city generations later, Mary and Joseph. There's no house for them. They have Jesus. And then they walk away from that city as refugees as well to Egypt. A little house in a little town of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, the prophet Micah would say, though you're small among all the tribes of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock. We will live securely. He will be our peace. All of this redemption history, all of the work of God to bring every person under the healing wings of Jesus, hinging on a young Moabite woman who will hold fast to her mother-in-law and a young man who will redeem them willing to guard, willing to protect. All of this happens so that God can spread his wings of provision and redemption over you and over me. In the very fabric of the law, God is weaving his care for the vulnerable. He's weaving, um, he's putting in protection for those who have, been wronged and for us when we've sinned and hurt ourselves. And all of the consequences of our brokenness are embedded there to try and protect us. But most of all, what's happening here in this story is that we are seeing God's heart for those who are lost and who are broken and who are destitute. Boaz is this picture of the heart of God. In uh, verse 9, we see Malon and Kilian's names again. And remember those names mean death and dying. And so Boaz becomes a picture of Jesus where he goes into the house of death and dying and instead he brings resurrection and new life and redemption. God is the one who is our redeemer, who longs to buy us back. He is the guardian who will not rest until the matter is settled. And so he comes as Jesus to buy us back from the grave, to buy us back from death. When the other people say, I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my old own estate, God is the one who always says, I will redeem it. And that redemption was costly. To redeem anything, to bring it back, it always requires a sacrifice, it always cost something, to bring someone out of poverty, to restore someone from brokenness. The other relative would say, it costs too much. But God never says, you cost too much. God says, there is no cost I won't pay to redeem you and to bring you back from death. He says, I'll give myself. And so Jesus is called our great Redeemer. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God but he came to justify us freely by his grace through the redemption that comes from Jesus. By his sacrifice, Hebrews says, of his own blood, he buys eternal redemption for us. Jesus is God coming to buy us back from our disaster, from our poverty, from our brokenness, from our hopelessness, from our suffering. And in this prophetic image of Jesus' his death and resurrection, the prophet Malachi says this, the son of righteousness will rise over you in a new day with healing in his wings. The story of God is that he longs to gather us in, to protect us, to provide for us, to redeem us, to restore us, to heal us. Come and take refuge under the wings of God. Come and take refuge under the wings of God this morning. Receive it. Receive his provision. Receive his redemption and restoration. We're all living in a story of redemption when we put our faith in the Lord We might be in chapter 1, like Ruth, where she puts everything on the line by saying, your God will be my God, before she knows how God will provide. We might be like in chapter 4, where we've seen the provision of God in our lives, but we have no idea about the greater and grander vision of what God's doing. But we can put our faith that God is a God who is a great redeemer, is working on our behalf we can put our hope in him we can take refuge under the wings of God in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church we'd love to hear from you you can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.